Greetings and welcome to episode 91 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and we'll be at the NCP crew. Richo. I am still sick. It's been three weeks and I'm still unwell. Seriously, that's it. Demon possession. Some sort of parasite or something just attached itself to my soul. I thought the pox was easier to get rid of. I, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. I, I'm still somehow sick. That's, that, that's not right. It's, 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 it's a hard like, living that you do. That's what and it's is. not even, it's not even like everything at once. It's like, you know, it starts off with a sore throat. Then that starts to clear up. Along comes the runny nose. That starts to clear up. Along comes the heavy cough. You know, it's like, this is one thing after another. Sounds a lot like man flu to me. Man flu? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the oh, right. Right He's still going on about it three weeks <laughs> later. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just not right. I don't get it. Next up, we've got young Luke. As long as you keep to your little bubble over there <laughs> and don't pollute my air. Pollute their air, of course, by all means. Bubble but boy. Pollute, but if you pollute my air... Then we're going to have issues, my friend. But the only joy of having a cold is passing it on to others so that they can share the pain that you're experiencing. And Crystal. That was a very smooth introduction today, David. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Look, greetings. Get, all I can say is, get a room, you two. <laughs> We do have we have multiple rooms. We have a house in your Yeah, but we're in this one, so go somewhere else. <laughs> Actually, we're the ones that have to leave because it's their house. <laughs> no, <laughs> they can just go into the bedroom or something. He's already infected this room. That's right. Uh, for this episode, we have a dust jacket on the novel The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bolkakov. And then a top five on our favourite portrayals of the devil in film, literature, games and music. I don't think I have a song can for that so, one. Can you sort of see? Can you see a bit of a theme there? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, very very excited. <laughs> I don't see how very excited. And uh, I, I am very excited. I assure you, I'm very excited. You're very <laughs> excited to talk about the devil. What a wonderful jolly fellow the devil is. We I, love. I better not say that. Actually, <laughs> all hail Satan. <laughs> I'd like to uh, actually give a bit of credit to Dave. You were asked to pronounce a foreign name, and you actually got it right. First time. No no help from the rest of us. You just you just got it. So, well done. Points to you. This is a turning point for you in the NCP career. It's only taken 90 episodes, but you've now learnt to pronounce, like, well, at least Russian names. Who else is going to think that um, Richo's going to be cut out from the rest of the episode? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was such a backhanded bit of praise. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Hey, so backhanded you got a red mark across your face. I've got, I've got Turn the other cheek. I've got ninety episodes <laughs> of evidence to back me up here. Thank you very much. Jeez, oh, moving on. Uh, first up, we'll start with our dust jacket. Okay, so this episode's dust jacket was uh, my pick. It came up to my turn, and I chose The Master and Margarita uh, by Mikhail Bolkakov. Nice. You say it so sexy now. It was very smooth. Very, very smooth. I was first introduced to this book by a co-worker of mine at the time, uh, Eleanor, who actually grew up in the USSR and uh, for you know for the majority spent the majority of her life in that sort of environment and um, and read the book herself as uh, as a young lady and it was part of it was part of her attempt to uh, sort of broaden my horizons because she was uh, tired of me mentioning Star Wars all the time and so she, <laughs> so she uh, so she she would give me books and and films sort of based you know from her from her culture and and uh, and uh, this was one of them and uh, I can't thank her enough um, it's, this is 
I do this quite often when I do my reviews, but I'm going to do it again anyway. Um, this is brilliance, and uh, it, it, it did exactly what she wanted to do. It, it basically enlightened my life and uh, got me interested in that, you know, the, the sort of the Russian people and Russian culture, and, and sort of led me to sort of expand my horizons a bit and read some more of that sort of stuff. Um, and none of them come close uh, to this to this novel. Um, well, to be fair to you, why would you pick a book that you didn't think was brilliant? Oh well, you know, well, at one point I'm going to pick a ride, and it's not it's not brilliant by any means. <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I mean, you know, like I'll, I'm a, I'll, sometimes I'll pick books just because I'm interested in reading them. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so they might not yeah. be good, but good you know. I mean, one of my future picks is going to be uh, the Handmaid's Ta- Hand, Handmaid's Tale, which I actually haven't even read. I just yeah. I wanted I want to choose it anyway. Yeah. But uh, but you make a good point. Well, you know, I picked it because it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> but I also but I also picked it because uh, I actually thought it would just be something that the crew would like. And that's what's basically going to sort of, it's not always, but mostly dictate my choices in the future. I just, I just want to, I want to pick books that um, I, I know that at least one or two of the crew will like, and maybe even one of them might not like and cause a bit of controversy. We'll see how it goes. So back to uh, Master and Margarita. Um, it was actually written between 1928 and 1940, um, and it wasn't actually published until 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and even then, it was uh, not. It wasn't a very, it wasn't a full manuscript, and it actually only until very recently. Well, I say very recently because I'm a child of the '80s, but it wasn't until 1989 until uh, a, a full, a full version was available. Um, and that for that for that period, that was the, the canonical sort of version of it. But that has since now been replaced by a newer version, uh, which I need to point out is a version I've got um, that uh, is. You know, as, as complete as it could possibly be. It's kind of like Metropolis in that, so that sort of sense. It's like this, every yeah. now and again, every couple of years, you'll get a sort of a newer sort of version of it. It's interesting to note, you, you may actually be wanting to bring this up yourself, but he did actually burn his first copy. Yeah. Like his first draft, he actually set fire to it. And it's like, wow. Yeah, so he, he, and he did that because he, he thought there was just no future in, in yeah. writing under you know the, the Soviet regime. Yeah. Um, and that, that scene actually does actually it does appear in the novel in, in yeah. a fictionalised form, which... And uh, and leads to uh, one, of, one of its most famous quotes, which is "Manuscripts don't burn." You know, it's great stuff. Um, and it's it basically deals it's it deals with a visit to uh, heavily atheist Soviet Union uh, by the devil um, in uh, the form of uh, Professor Woland and his uh, retinue, uh, who are a collection of uh, demons and witches. Uh, and then and basically then basically deals with the fallout of that. So he's come to Soviet Russia. Uh, for a reason, um, and that's basically just to, to, you know, to cause discord, which is what he does, but also to uh, host uh, this party that he that he needs that he it's it's, it's a traditional sort of party that he hosts um, for important um, and sort of notorious uh, historical figures. The the story is also inter, uh, interlaced with uh, the story of uh, Pontius Pilate and his, and, well, basically what's considered, what, what, what's meant to be the, the true account of Pontius Pilate and his interactions with Jesus. Now, the other major event of part one is um, Wallon's performance at the theatre, um, which is, it's a brilliant scene, and it, it is used to sort of display just how greedy uh, the, the the new rich of, of Soviet Russia have become. Um, and it's, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. And there's little hints to it of you know the after effects of it later on in, in the story, which are, which are great stuff. Ellen used to tell me you know stories about her, her childhood and growing up and, and stuff like that. And one of the things I found quite quite fascinating was the way housing was controlled. Um, so people were assigned 
housing. Like you didn't buy it yourself. Like <laughs> you, you were assigned housing, and yeah. and there were basically these little apartments that were mainly two. To have three rooms was considered luxury, and, and you know it, the whole family sort of fit in them in, or sort of in like there's apartment blocks and stuff like that. And uh, and it deals this the story sort of del- delves into that quite heavily. Um, then we move on to part two, which introduces Margarita, the, the Margarita of the story, um, uh, the master's mistress. So she's 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 married, and she's unfortunately cheated on her husband, which is I don't really agree with. But she even says so says herself that her husband is a good man, and she's not cheated on him because he's horrible. But she's just she basically she falls in love. So she meets the master, and she's actually fallen in love for the first time. Basically, she worships everything that he does and says, and, and the manuscript. And even though the master tries to destroy the manuscript, she saves some of it, and she, you know, she holds it dear. And she eventually then meets up with Wolland and his crew as well. And we get to learn a bit more about the about Wolland's Wolland's crew. So I want to describe some of them a little bit too, because uh, they're cool. They are awesome. Uh, so one of them is a a giant talking cat called Behemoth, a black cat. He's large as a, large as a, a pig, uh, and he talks, and uh, he's awesome. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed, uh, and but he thinks that he is and uh, goes out of his way to sort of try to prove that he is, and he really isn't. He's proven time again that he isn't. Uh, you also have Azazello, uh, who is, I, I assume, is meant to be Azazel, mm. uh, who is a, a wall-eyed... Uh, Famed um, sort of assassin type guy, and I sort of picture I sort of picture him as being like, like quite tall and thin, and it's like the mm-hmm. how you used to see in sort of like the old school sort of cartoons, but sort of like the the dude in the in the trench coat. He's <laughs> like it's like hey hey Mister, you know what about my watch? What about my watch? Something got him like that. I don't know if that's meant to be what he was meant to be like. But that's how I, I always pictured him. And he's actually pretty cool. Um, he's uh, and uh, he's the one with all the skills, and he he's basically the assassin. Um, and you also have a couple of a couple of other sort of hannerons, uh, and most most notably Hella, uh, who is a, a beautiful succubus slash witch, and uh, she's basically naked. Like <laughs> every scene she's in, she's nude, um, and uh, she's described as being, um, you know, of, of of extreme beauty, except for this one uh, sort of defect, which is a scar on her neck, which I, I think indicates that she's a vampire. Um, and you sort of get a hint of that later on in one of the scenes where she uh, attacks somebody. Yeah, my, um, my initial thought was that she was um, like a suicide. Because, yeah. you know, in the old days, suicides would go to hell. Until you get that attack scene where she's doing yeah, yeah. You know, vampiric-type stuff. And so yeah, kind of, yeah you know, but I, I still sort of saw, saw it as just a continuation of that. She goes to hell, and when he brings her back... He oh, brings that's, her that's an interesting vampire. interpretation. Yeah. I never never thought of that at all, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the, the vampire, sort of, from a perspective of a metaphor, the idea of a vampire... You know, sucking the life out of Russia kind of fits in a lot with what Bolgakov's saying overall in the story. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, and in and in the uh, sort of the, the sort of the alternate um, storyline, you get of course Pontius Pilate um, and uh, Yeshua, uh, who is you know, Jesus. To sort, of, to sort of finish up the plot part of it, uh, you have the the grand, the grand ball that Walland, um, you know, was, all this is sort of leading up towards and. Uh, and Margarita is involved in that, and I don't. I don't want to say how because I don't. Want, I don't want to ruin it, and I don't want to say how it sort of comes to an end. But so that's basically that's it. Basically, the plot uh, in, in a nutshell. And um, like I said at the start, I think I think it's brilliant, and it's, it's uh, it has a very interesting sort of satirical style to it um, that is unique, I think, to that that period, um, and more importantly, that sort of that sort of geographical region, and. Uh, and like I said, it just it, it just it opened my mind to to a whole new sort of set of of literature. 
there is a couple of a couple of bits of it that sort of uh, I had to sort of you know do some research. You know, good old Google helped me out, and so some of those sort of things. There were a couple of a couple of sort of instances where I, I just I don't think it quite worked as well as it probably would have if I if I grew up in that culture. Um, but in all in all, it just it is uh, just a magnificent read. Um, so I'll just uh, I'll move on to uh, the crew. Get to get the crew's um, feelings and thoughts on it, and then uh, we'll come back with our ratings. Yeah, first of all, I want to actually thank Dave for choosing this book because I'd never actually read it before. I have an absolute fascination with revolutionary Russia and then post-revolutionary Russia, sort of that period between the revolution in 1917 up to the start of World War II. But having having studied the history of that, you don't necessarily get a feel for how people felt in Russia during that period. Um, and I think that's really what this book does beautifully is... Uh, really, to, to me, what he's talking about is the hypocrisy of um, post-revolutionary Russia. You know, they're meant to be a classless communist society, yet there's a whole class structure that exists, and quite a complex and detailed one, which he parodies beautifully. Like, the satire here... I, I agree with what you said. The satire is very much of its time, and very much to that region, no doubt about that. But it is incredibly clever and witty and ironic. So it very rarely does he move into sarcasm. And so I loved that element. There are three scenes in it that really stood out for me. The first one is um, Wallen's performance, is, and which you've already talked about a little bit, which is um, incredibly clever because it does bring up that hypocrisy and, as you said, the greed of, of the new elite. The second scene was actually the devil's ball. And I think that's that's the the most amazing scene in the book, and everything that actually happens with Margarita, leading up to the ball as well, is just fascinating and beautifully written. And the third scene that really fascinated me was when um, when Pilate actually first meets with Jesus, and they have that wonderful conversation. But the the way that the the Pilate narrative sort of re- re- reflects a metaphor of what's actually going on the no- in the novel, which is self- itself is a metaphor for what was happening in Russia at the time, just astonishes me. Um, this uh, really was an amazing book. And, and like you, I had to do a bit of research, but I actually, it, it, the book made me want to do research, which is rare for a book to do. Um, I did find it interesting that The Devil's Ball is actually based on an actual ball that was held in Russia, yeah. um, so, set up yeah, by yeah. The, the American embassy, which, although Stalin himself didn't attend, um, a lot of the major cabinet members uh, and elite that shouldn't exist to begin with um, did actually attend. And so he's sort of drawn on that um, in in the best sort of form of satire. Mm. So, yeah, so thank you, man, for recommending this book because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I found this book very difficult to focus on. Right from the start, I found it very hard. I'm not sure whether it was the flowery writing or it was the uh, the, the little penchant he had for giving people multiple names so keeping track of the characters at the start was a little difficult until I figured out which names were which. Also, I found sort of, sort of the scenes were sort of thrust in my face a bit more Moulin Rouge style at times. That's how I pictured the whole book, actually, all decked out sort of Moulin rouge sort of style. <laughs> so I found it a bit hard to get through. I, I kind of I got absorbed in Homeless's story. I got absorbed in Margarita's story. But for the rest of it, I sort of struggled to get through. And it's, I, 
the Pontius Pilate stuff, I found it very hard to penetrate at all. I, I, I don't know whether I couldn't focus on it or I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. But the story overall was was interesting. I just found it very, very difficult to keep focused on it. And maybe another part of that was because I had two books sitting there waiting for me to read that I desperately wanted to get into, but I was reading this one <laughs> first. Um, but I don't think that's the whole thing because, I mean, if, if, if it was absorbing enough, I would have been drawn into it anyway. That's just, well, I agree with it. The writing is, is very good. It's probably just not the style that's right for me. It's actually interesting because I sort of sit somewhere in the middle of all three. Um, I acknowledge that there are some very, very good scenes um, in this. And I, to confess, I actually didn't finish the book. What did you get up to? I got to page 100 after, after Ivan Nankovic's dream. And that's partly where I stopped. And I'll explain why. You know, the scene at the start is with between Bolios um, and the guy who I'm assuming becomes homeless, mm. uh, Brumholnes, um, discussing... Well, not discussing so much. Bolios basically says, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You're wrong about this. Jesus doesn't exist. He was the Luke of his day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he uh, just and wrong. here's why. And then, you know, gets into meeting Monsieur Walland and great stuff. I thought it was actually very interesting um, and the satire was quite apparent then. But then, when we start to go into the um, the cultural bourgeoisie and the elite, I got what um, what Crystal experienced, which is thought okay, getting a little heavy hand is not quite the right word, but I've already got the satire in the first three, and I kind of felt like that what we were doing that when he was getting into that was that he was just overstating it, and I'm being I'm acknowledging that I'm reading this from a modern perspective. Outside of the time period which he was which he was writing, and then the time period in which this was being published, um, but I felt that it was very a little overstated, and then having to jump between about three or four different characters in the space of a sentence could get a little overwhelming. Not the type, the right word, but it does sort of uh, desensitize you to a little bit to the the interesting some of the interesting stuff, which is there. I'm not denying that at all. Um, for instance, Monsieur Wallen's performance. Is brilliant, and the effect that he has on the rest of society, on the rest of the society, because of that, is marvelous. I wanted to get to that scene a lot quicker, and I thought you could have you could have stripped back some of the the satire and the cultural bourgeoisie. You stripped it back, not cut it out completely. Stripped it back to get to that point, because it's more. This novel is more about the effect that the devil has after that moment. A lot of it is just set up to get to that point. I wanted to get into, you know, the de- the actual effect that the devil has had after this one, effectively an atom bomb of um, performance. Um, and that's why I sort of stopped after Ivan Nankovic's dream. We've been introduced introduced to the master before that, in which he gives a, you know, quite a nice description of his, um, of his love for, um, I'm assuming, Margarita. But then the dream itself, I thought, nah, okay, this is, again, taking me out, and I want to get thrust back into the story. But if the other scenes were green, weren't they good enough to offset the scenes that were not and actually think, finish the book? Um, no. Because those scenes were few and far between and there's a lot of attempt a lot of, you know, attempts to talk about, you know a lot of attempts to actually put the satire before the story. Yeah. Um, but the satire is the story. I mean, the, as in, as in, satirical writing of the time mm. is is very much along those sort of lines. There is a lot of jumping backwards and forwards. But I think the the other thing, the other important thing is that you're dealing with a 
the, a fairly closed society that is presenting an image of itself to mm. the world. Yeah. And a writer who is trying to say that image we're presenting is not actually the truth. Mm. And and the nature of truth is is another very important aspect of the novel. Mm. I'll just say, I didn't actually... I'm not sure whether it's because I'm not uh, au fait with Russian history or whether perhaps I'm just not educated enough in an area. I don't know. But I didn't get the satire. It didn't come across as satirical to me. Okay. It came across more as if this just as a novel set in that period in history in Russia. I actually found it incredibly witty um, and but clever in, in clever in that in that best style of, of mm-hmm. intellectual comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does come at the expense a little bit, certainly in terms of the plot. Yeah, I have to agree that I did get to a point where I think about 50, 60 pages in, I said to David, I, I can't see a plot in this book. Where's the mm. plot? <laughs> yeah, and I got to page 200 and went, okay, the story so far seems to be the devil comes to Moscow and everyone goes mad. Yeah. And 200 pages... That's fine if you're 50 pages into a book. At 200 pages into a book, if that's really the the bulk of what the story is... Yeah, but that, that, but is, that is what the story is. You've got, athe- you've not- got very heavy, heavy atheist Russia. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, at this at this period of history, you've got uh, just so much atheist mm. propaganda being yes. thrust at you all the time. And so you have a, a, a being who they say doesn't exist... Mm-hmm show up to prove, not only prove that he does exist, um, but also sh- um, just show just how corrupt society has become, at the, despite the promises of not get becoming corrupt. But see, I got that in the opening chapters. What? Okay, now I, I have to disagree completely with that, because it's not... The, the point is that the, 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 the devil comes to, to, to Moscow and mm. everyone goes mad. The point is that the devil comes to Moscow and challenges... Every aspect and every level of that society. So you, he, he, and what he does is he takes you through different elements of that society, and then as as the story progresses, you see how the devil just completely manipulates everybody and chips away at the entire structure of the society from the top to the bottom mm-hmm. and destroys it all. Okay, and but- I think that that's why it's important for you to know these elements of that culture. Mm. Um, early on, so that then you get the joy of watching the devil and his entourage completely destroy that that culture. I don't disagree with that. I just don't think it flowed as well as you thought it did. Yeah, no, fair enough. And what you're talking about there, to me, comes across more as thematic meaning, uh, whereas we're actually talking specifically about plot, (laughs) the plot mechanics. But in a a satirical novel, the thematic meaning is absolutely essential. To be fair, I'm actually not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is... All right, hang on, hang on, hang on, everybody. <laughs> this is Let's recorded. Just Let's just stop that, and uh, reflect for a moment. <laughs> this is the first time that Luke has actually said he's saying that somebody is not wrong. <laughs> but I'm also saying you're not listening to the point of my argument, which no, is... No, I am. All right, cool. Uh, let's, let's hit the ratings, and uh, I obviously I can probably guess from my uh, lavish introduction and then my... Uh, my uh, monologue afterwards, oh, I get this five out of five. I think it's absolutely brilliant and uh, deserves to be on everybody's reading list. And I implore you to give it a go. And uh, yeah, I, and also just sort of following with uh, what Richard was saying with sort of his favourite scenes, I, I agree that the uh, Boland's performance is brilliant and uh, the ball is quite entertaining as well. I was sort of leading up, everything leading up to the ball and stuff. Uh, my my favourite, my actual favourite scene is is the interaction they have after the ball. And uh, Margarita's in the apartment with uh, Wallen and the crew, and 
and Behemoth just being Behemoth. <laughs> you know, he's just being, he's just trying to convince everybody that he's that he's winning a chess game against the devil. And of course he's <laughs> not. And he just cheats it. And he's like, and the, and the shoot, the shooting the gun through the pillow through the card, and it's just. Just, this all the entire sequence is just it just shows how awesome a character Behemoth is. He's yeah. just He's trying to get the uh, the chess piece under the bed. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not cheating at all. His oh, later uh, shootout with the police as well is another <laughs> classic for Behemoth. <laughs> behemoth every scene with Behemoth is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, not in, as enthralled as you are, um, but I don't hate the book at all. Hmm. Um, and you know there is much there is some stuff well, I didn't write it so I'm cool with it and there is, and there is some stuff you know where, and if people wanted, were reading it I'd say yeah you could do worse than read this so I, I but it's not enough for me to praise as highly as other members of um, the, the troop so I give this three and a half looks that's still pretty good that's... basing my rating solely on my enjoyment of it I mean because so what I got out of the book is, is, is solely based on the reader, not the writer, because it's, it's clearly beautifully written and um, competently written. It's just not written in a style that's accessible to me. Yeah. So based purely on my enjoyment of it, I give it a two. I've, I've got to go with Dave here. I was absolutely blown away by this novel, and I'm so glad that I had the chance to read it. So um, look, I'm going to give it four and a half. Okay, moving on. Was, yeah, so just so just to finish up, please uh, please give it a go. It, it's a must read for anybody who's even slightly interested in that sort of period, but also um, sort of satirical novels. And this is, I, I think, the the template um, for what needs to be done if you're going to write that sort of book. For our next Dash Jacket, if uh, you want to get a, give it a read before the show, so you know what we're what we're arguing about, it's uh, it will be um, our anniversary as as uh, as we've done every every year. It'll be an Isaac Asimov novel um, to sort of keep up the tradition and uh, keep on the Russian bent there. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it it will be the gods themselves. Uh, so check it out. So coming up next, uh, just to continue the theme, we've got our our top five favorite portrayals of the devil in film, literature, games, music, and anything else that we can think of. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of will and taste. Been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Me damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. Pleased to meet you. Uh, continuing the theme of, of, of the devil, we've got our top five favourite portrayals of the devil in film, literature, games, music and what have you. And uh, as usual, we'll start with Richo. Yeah, this was actually an interesting and kind of difficult topic to do. Um, there are a few that really stood out for me straight away, but um, there's a lot of great depictions of the devil. Uh, really had to think hard and work out why I wanted to choose the five that I did. My number five choice is Darkness from the movie Legend, as portrayed by Tim Curry. This is a, a dark fantasy film uh, by Ridley Scott uh, from the 1980s. 
um, which wasn't very successful at the time, but I've always loved it since I was a kid. But my main reason for choosing this was, first of all, this is, I think, the best physical depiction of the devil as an actual, like, demonic creature. He's huge, he's got the cloven feet, he's got massive horns, he just looks evil. And, and Tim Curry portrays him with such a almost a certain gracefulness to it but imagine frankenfurter but serious and in demonic form and a that's kind of, yeah that's kind of he just portrays the character with such an amazing presence his horns are impressive his horns are absolutely <laughs> massive it must have weighed on his head so heavily having to wear these giant horns does he offer um tom cruise <laughs> to go and try a few steve reeve movies <laughs> no he doesn't unfortunately um but also his um his corruption oh, of oh. miyasara's character it the movie's is, terrible. Is it's not terrible. It's awful. It is not awful at all. Yeah, I've got to agree with um, I mean, the, the, the darkness is magnificent. I agree with everything you said about that. The yeah. movie's terrible, terrible stuff. You're just wrong. <laughs> That's my line. And no, it's not. <laughs> um, okay, my number four depiction is Louis Cipher, or Cipher, as he's often pronounced by. Um, Do you know Louis? I go Louis. Louis Saifier. Yeah. Is, he, is he a foreign gentleman? He's a foreign gentleman. Is, is he foreign? <laughs> um, uh, this is from uh, both the novel um, and the movie Angel Heart. The movie is actually a pretty uh, close depiction of the of the novel. Like, it's a very, Surprisingly very trans- close. translation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I love about this depiction of the devil is, um, as portrayed in the movie by Robert De Niro, which automatically makes him awesome. But he's... I love his... The manipulative nature in this. Um, that it basically the devil hires a detective to go looking for a person, but in the process, the detective is doing all of the devil's work for him. So the devil is just sitting back, manipulating this detective into doing all these things the detective does, and basically keeping his hands clean at all time. And for me, those are the best depictions of the devil. He's very clever about what he does, and so that nobody knows. Effectively, you know, he convinces he convinces the world that he doesn't exist. That's the depiction of the devil that I love the most, and I think it's beautifully done in Angel Heart in both the book and in in the film. My number three depiction is actually a song. It's uh, "Sympathy for the Devil" by the Rolling Stones. First of all, it's actually the best Rolling Stones song in my opinion. Totally agree. Mm. Um, Disagree. Oh. Painted Black is the best Rolling Stones. Painted Black is a close And thing. you know what? Painted Black would be my number two yeah. and Angie would be my number three. Very cool. But I just love the depiction of Satan in this song. It's because basically because Mick Jagger just has that swagger about him, that arrogance, but it's that it's that charismatic arrogance. Mm. Nobody moves like Jagger. Exactly. Oh, and he don't ever quote Maroon Five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Maroon Five A. Don't, who actually don't have a good song, as opposed to the Rolling <laughs> they Stones. They do have a good song, just not that one. <laughs> Definitely not that one. But um, basically, um, Mick Jagger's natural arrogance and swagger and charisma is just perfect for how I imagine the devil being. And Brian Ferret is a very good cover version of it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, even managing to sound more like Lucifer than well, he, he, he has a nice sort of swagger about him. Mm. As a well, suave so. swagger. Absolutely, absolutely. No, 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 I prefer Jagger's version. My number two depiction is actually from uh, comic books, uh, and this is Lucifer, as depicted in the DC Vertigo universe, specifically in uh, the Sandman comic um, and the Lucifer comic by uh, Mike Carey. This is just a beautifully fleshed out 
um, three-dimensional and really fascinating depiction of Satan. Using using Lucifer as as the fallen angel um, who has rebelled a bit against God, but taking that that character and the character traits that that would lead somebody to actually rebel against God, but taking it in really interesting and different directions. My number one uh, comes from John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is a first of all a brilliant poem, but also an incredibly sympathetic depiction of Satan at a point where that kind of thing could get you in a bit of trouble. Mm. I love his justification that the devil gives for why he does what he does. Um, and I can understand it. And I think that that's what I, what amazes me about Paradise Lost is, you know, the devil's presented as, you know, evil and bad and everything. But in Paradise Lost, you kind of think, okay, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. I can see why he did it. I see why he rebelled. And I kind of sympathize with him. Um, Sympathy for the devil? Absolutely. And that's what amazes me about Paradise Lost, is that it's a sympathetic portrayal of the devil from several hundred years ago. Um, And also just an amazing, as I said, an amazing poem. Nice. Next up we've got Luke. You know, I kind of predicted that those would be your, that would be your top five. I knew about three of them anyway, but then I went, hang on, why haven't you got Louis Louis Cypher or Darkness? So, yeah, cool, I predicted that. Yay for me. You're my hero. Mm. Um, Okay, so... Couple of similarities to um, Richard's list, a few differences thrown in. So my number five is uh, Rowan Atkinson's Devil Monologue. Um, oh, I'd forgotten about Rowan. <laughs> it is classic. Um, which is effectively the devil welcoming new souls to hell, That's and he's quite awful. he's quite friendly and open, and you know, oh yes, you're in for an eternity of damnation and pain and suffering, but I'm going to welcome you in anyway. And you know, he tries to keep things informal. We learn that his name is Toby. <laughs> um, and you know he welcomes each one in by groups and we learn just really how much of the, of humanity is actually going to hell for instance the Americans have been um, <laughs> thanks to some found, some fracas with the fa- God had with the found, with their founding fathers damned the entire race to perpetuity um, but expresses condolences to the Mormons and <laughs> anyone who's seen Monty Python's Life of Brian um, because God can't take a joke <laughs> so um, we're all going to hell <laughs> so we're all going to hell we're all going um, to hell and, you know, really wanted to see how the exchange program between heaven and hell was going to work out. Um, but I just think it's uh, as, as that sort of nice, uh, one of the, it's one of the funnier uh, depictions of the devil, uh, but really spot on. My number four one is also a song. Didn't go with Simply for the Devil because I knew it was going to be talked about. I went with The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band from 1979, which is effectively the story of the devil going to Georgia, being a bit depressed because he hasn't got many souls, and challenges um, Johnny, a world-class fiddler, to a violin contest. They call it a fiddling contest, but I can know, I know how that can sound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if that was the type, nature of the contest, then Johnny would already be going to hell. <laughs> At least according to Christians. Um, but it's, it, listening to the song recently, it was um, quite interesting to see. It's one of the few depictions where the devil's not in top form. You know, he approaches the contest as the underdog anyway. And then still proceeds to lose to a um, far superior, um, far superior violinist. I also got to give uh, uh, mention briefly mention the sequel that Johnny Cash did called "The Devil Joes Back to Georgia," in which the devil tries again to beat Johnny <laughs> in a. Um, and it's a, it's a very well done because he get it, Johnny Cash is the narrator dressed as a preacher, and I forget who does the devil and the um, and the Johnny parts, but they actually get different singers to come in and do 
John and the Devil. Um, so I've got to give mention to that. But The Devil Goes Down to Georgia, very well played, very well written, quite catchy, top stuff. My third one is the depiction of the devil from South Park. Um, <laughs> okay. Because for a couple of reasons. The first time we meet him, he challenges Jesus to a boxing competition. <laughs> and Jesus was a scrawny little guy. Everyone bets against him, except for the devil. <laughs> and the devil takes a dive. <laughs> but then we later learn that the devil, in fact, has relationship problems with Saddam Hussein in hell. Um, when he tries to you know, break away from Saddam, Saddam always comes back. Um, so that's one of my top depictions of the devil. And so here we go into where I agree with Richo. My second is Paradise Lost. Um, for a lot of what um, Richo has already said, brilliant, but you know the way that it actually depicts the devil as not necessarily being out and out evil, but something who uh, a being who we can kind of relate to. Yeah. But also the fact that people miss the point, as a lot of people have missed the point. A lot of people see it as being justification for an existence that's not paradise, whereas it's more the devil... Basically trying to tell people, no, 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 we're out of his jurisdiction now. You're with me. We're going to have a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. Um, which is what I really respond to it. And then my um, my number one is the is the Neil Gaiman depiction from Sandman and Lucifer. Because I see that as a natural progression of Paradise Lost. Yeah. Paradise Lost yeah. is actually, without Paradise Lost, you actually don't get a lot of the modern depictions of the devil that you do. So it's actually quite influential in terms of how a lot of people see Lucifer. But... I think in the Neil Gaiman version, we see Lucifer at his absolute best. And that's my top five. I found it difficult as well. But in doing the research, the reason I found it difficult is it turns out I haven't actually seen, heard, or read a lot of things with the devil in it as a character, which surprised me somewhat, considering um, my science fiction sort of nerdy bent. But, so I actually only came up with four, but I'm so glad that Luke mentioned Rowan Atkinson's Devil, because I'll actually put him at my number five. I won't elaborate any more, but uh, that is that is a brilliant skit, and um, yeah, that, def- oh, that'll round out my number five nicely. <laughs> check so, it out on the YouTube. Check it out on the YouTubes, yes. It's very, very funny stuff. I just want to think there are several versions of it, so don't just go with YouTube. Like yeah. he, with all these skits, he actually does rewrite for certain audiences and things yeah. like that yeah. Yeah. Um, at a certain point, so there are actually multiple versions of it out there, so... Yeah. So yeah, watch it, watch it over and over again in different ways. It's terrific. It's yeah, it's really terrific. Uh, so at my number four, I had um, well, wasn't real. Is it? Well, it's a, it's a bit controversial. In Doctor Who, in the Impossible Planet and uh, the Satan Pit episodes, where the Doctor goes to a planet that is impossible because it's actually being sucked into a black hole, but it's still uh, you can, people still living on it, and uh, the the devil or alien is in the pit of this planet controlling all these events. It's a quite a good episode. Um, I, I was I was a bit hesitant to put it in as a devil because it's not uh, your typically depicted devil Lucifer type character. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that it's meant to be. It, yeah, that's it's, the, it's, the inspiration it's, for the devil. It's possibly meant to be mm, the yeah. devil, but it, it also you could take it as a, yeah. a, an alien. But yeah, um, and, and Doc, Doctor Who has actually done that a couple of times because we've also got the the demons episode in the yeah. Mertwee era, 
So yeah, I can see where you because I I thought a bit about that as well. It's not controversial. Sort of, yeah. It was yeah, it was. I decided not to include him basically for the reasons that you were you sort of mentioned. Well, I chucked him in in the end there because I was really struggling. I had he had three at that point, yeah. so I chucked him in there. So but and and it, and it was a really good episode, mm. especially yeah, with definitely. the symbols start appearing on that guy's skin and his eyes change. And <laughs> the Doctor versus the Devil. You're not right. going to go wrong. Exactly. Yes, and we all know who wins. Uh, number three was the Devil as depicted in Jason Frank's novel Bloody Waters cool. friend, friend of the show Jason Frank's um, I, I like this the way this is done uh, for pretty much the reasons Richard was saying about the De Niro character is he's very charismatic and a well written character he's, he's actually a likeable devil yeah <laughs> um, I mean he, he's uh, I won't go too far into into it because I don't want to spoil elements of the story but the, the, his uh, intentions may not always be as evil as you would think, but then, then again, are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that slight little, little weak. <laughs> um, number three, my, I've, I've also chucked a song in there. I've put in um, The Devil from the Tenacious D song, uh, Tribute, <laughs> as played by Dave Grohl in the video clip. <laughs> I just... Not only is it a, com- a comedic song, it's actually quite a good song just on its mm. own. It's, it's got a good, yeah. uh, a good vibe to it. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Good, do- good mm. beat and you can dance to it, yes. And one of the best <laughs> scat sequences yeah. done by a lot of people at that time. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, when you listen to it, going, wow, that, in spite yeah. of the fact it's a comedy song, as you say. Yeah. These guys actually have some musicianship. Exactly, actually... it's not just a, it's not just a, a comedy. It's not just a comedy skit. They actually have some skill. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, you, you, you ready, Lever? I'll, I'll set it up for you. Be you angels. <laughs> we said nay. <laughs> we all but men. Rock. <laughs> I couldn't remember the line. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, play. Play. Ah, ah. <laughs> I was like, play the best song it sounds more like Mike Myers from as Doctor Reef <laughs> yeah, it does. He does. Austin <laughs> yeah. Powers. That one's a keeper. Um, and my and my number one devil is actually the robot devil or Beelzebot from Futurama. <laughs> 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 specific, I really like the episode where um, he swaps hands with Fry. Yeah. Like, oh, how do you use these names? <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> where he was going to come in. So I knew someone was going to mention him. But. Uh, just, just an inspired uh, choice of uh, vocal casting as well to have John Goodman do his words. Yes. Well, awesome. I, like, I do like in Futurama how they have the, the robot version of the devil over a robot version of Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, he does the Santa Claus, not the devil. I stand corrected. I'm not sure who does the robot devil voice. John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio. I'm also a big fan of that devil. You know, has the hazard of going last means that most uh, quite a lot of mine are on other people's lists as well, so I won't bore you with too many details from those. Um, but uh, I also try to choose, you know, one or two that might not have been on other people's lists. Uh, number five, I also had Sympathy for the Devil, um, which I just, which, like Richo said, is brilliant. And uh, it is the Rolling Stones greatest song and it's an awesome song musically as well as the lyrics themselves which is great and uh, also influenced uh, Anne Rice and her depiction of Lestat in the vampire uh, the interview of the vampire novels uh, which is pretty cool uh, at number four I had the devil uh, Professor Wallen from Master and Margarita because uh, I just think he's cool no need to go any further with that uh, at number three I've actually I've, also, I've got the, the portrayal of the devil from the movie Constantine I'm actually, despite the film not being very good, I'm a big fan of the film, and uh, especially mainly because of that. Yeah. So the scene where the devil shows up um, and his interactions with John 
I just think are magnificent and um, basically highlight what is quite a flawed film. Um, and it's helped immeasurably by Peter Stamara, who plays the devil. Who looks like he's having the most fun out of yeah, anyone just, in the film. Um, yeah, he just he just yeah he just looks like he's just he's really got his teeth into this role. You know, yep. he's like I get to be the devil. It's awesome stuff. Um, yeah, uh, great great stuff. Um, and then uh, two a two and one, I had uh, basically the same that um, Luke and Richard both had as well. So uh, Lucifer. Um, which is actually one of my favourite comic series from start to finish yeah. uh, from DC Comics. Um, and uh, like uh, Luke pointed out, uh, that character is very heavily influenced uh, by the betrayal of Satan in Paradise Lost, uh, which is a brilliant piece of literature. It is, it's a classic of literature, and uh, it's probably the only poem I actually like. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and for, every, for every reason that everybody else said, um, it just... It, is awesome, awesome stuff, and um, a must-read. I, I actually considered doing it as a dust jacket at one point, but I thought my people might get annoyed, but now that I know everybody loves it, we might do it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's just winking at me. <laughs> cool, so that's, uh, so that's our top five favourite portrayals of the devil. Um, there was others like Luke and uh, episode 89 of your you know, <laughs> honourable yeah. mentions. I actually had quite a few extra mentions of the devil, um, but uh, I had, could only go with the five. Can I just mention, while I was uh, struggling to come up with my devils, I did a bit of research on the interwebs, and I looked at quite a few top ten lists, and there seems to be an internet consensus out there, and a lot of you have mentioned people's uh, portrayals from those lists, but nobody's mentioned the number one consensus on the internet, which was Elizabeth Hurley's character in Bedazzled. Oh, she's about to mention Bedazzled! <laughs> <laughs> which I, and, yeah, from what I read, I haven't seen either movie, but from what I read, I probably would prefer Peter Cook's character in yeah. the original. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was about to say, what are people responding to? They're responding to her portrayal, or the, the fact bikini. that it's, or that's, you know, just Elizabeth yeah. Hurley. Yeah. The bikini scene. Um, yeah, but there's, I mean, there were so many of those, oh God, you devil. <laughs> I had a high hat heap. I had a heap of betrayals of the devil on there. I even sneakily threw in uh, uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I thought about including <laughs> just, that just for the sake of it. <laughs> I actually thought about including that because I loved the the whole sort of philosophy and background story behind yeah. all of that. But um, he just couldn't make it in. Yeah, it's, it's, he only had the fire. But I, I did come across a movie I want to see at some point, which is uh, the story of mankind with Vincent Price. I'll have to track that down. <laughs> Can't never say no to a Vincent Price. I actually thought about including uh, the devil as depicted in the movie Glen or Glinda by Edward, <laughs> where he just shows up for no reason, reason that I've just not been able to work out in the many times I've seen that movie. Awesome. <laughs> and I was also going to have, of course, the robot devil. I, I just love the I love the fact that the. Even the devil is stunned by just how evil Bender is. It's <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. Anyway, so moving on to our coming soon. All right, the uh, the the grandfather of movie monsters uh, makes his reboot uh, reappearance in uh, Australian cinemas May fifteenth with Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla, Godzilla. No, 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 no Godzuki, unfortunately. No, I'm will be seen kind at of some curious point. about this because it's one of the fact that it's a remake by the Americans. Well, it's actually more of a sequel, which they tell you on the trailer because they mention you know atomic testing as a cover up in the fifth. Yeah, the opening sequence fe- uh, actually features Godzilla's initial attack on on mm. Tokyo. So um, but pretty- it, it actually looks like they might have put a lot more effort into this one than they certainly did into the Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Um, adaptation. I think Debark- just debacle is the word I've used. They've forgotten for it. that that existed, mm. yeah. and, and that's you know, and uh, and uh, as Crystal pointed out, and, <laughs> and uh, Bo was in one hundred percent agreement with this film should have been actually called Cranston. 
because it does in fact feature uh, programs. Does this mean that we're going to get you know mashups on YouTube similar to say Bambi versus Godzilla, but yeah, of course. Walter White versus Godzilla? Oh, the Cranston! Yeah, I guarantee it. <laughs> I'd uh, like to see Cranston actually have a punch on with Godzilla. <laughs> uh, that week we also get the Zero Theorem, um, which I can't remember. I, I did read what it was about, but now I can't remember. And Child's Pose, which again don't care because it's Godzilla week. Who cares what else is going out? Well, let's hope Godzilla's not crap then. Ah, well, you know, we, we do. We do hope. Yeah, Ro- okay. Roland Emmerich proved that that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. That's a good point. And to be fair, some of the Japanese ones are pretty bad as well. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who owns them all, <laughs> they're not necessarily all good. They're all being, they're all being re-released by Madman at the moment in the box sets, so uh, if yeah. you're a fan of the Godzillas, check them out. But be careful because you will miss a few. Yeah, like they, the box sets don't include everything. No, unfortunately. So you will have to get Ghidra the three-headed monster um, separately. But I <laughs> oh, do recommend really? getting Ghidra the three-headed monster because it is the second best uh, Godzilla film after the original. But that it just cool. ruins the whole look of the collection on the shelf if you have to get it separately because it'll be a different <laughs> yeah. cover. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be marketed different. Yeah, I, I found Godzilla Reigns again, which is the second film, and Ghidra the three-headed monster were the two that weren't available. Oh, and um, King Kong versus Godzilla was released yeah, separately. That's, that's so, separate well. Yeah, kind of annoying, but still, you know, Mad Men have done really well in getting these films out there in the first place, so exactly I appreciate right. that. On you, Mad Men. We love you. So that's it for episode 91. That's it from me and the crew. Richard. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Luke. I have evidence to the contrary about that, <laughs> because I'm a man of wealth and taste. I'm a man of wealth and taste, and so is my wife. <laughs> hey, Crystal. Rock! <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Needless to say, the beast was stunned. And the beast was done. He asked us.